Hello there. Uh, my name is Andre Darmanin, and I'm the host of the newly rebranded Global Conversations. I was supposed to have a co-host today, Priya Rateja, but unfortunately she couldn't make today make it today. So I'm going solo today. So today's conversation will be on inclusive leadership. And we talk about inclusive leadership quite a bit. And, uh, you know, in terms of leadership styles, in terms of what, what is comprised of inclusive leadership, but how does that look when it comes to an equity, diversity, inclusion landscape, as well as I want to tack that on into the fact of looking at it from a global perspective. You know, there's a localized perspective and also the globalized perspective in terms of those organizations that have global EDI. So for those watching, um, you know, I just want to introduce, first of all, uh, two of my guests who I've had the pleasure of knowing for the last, you know, year and a half virtually, if you will, and that's still the case in, in our environment. But of course, you know, these are the conversations that we're still having till today until, you know, one of us travels to the, each other's places and meet at conferences or whatever. But, you know, be that as it may. Um, so I, you know, before anything, you know, let me begin by introducing my two guests. First, uh, Nadia Nagamutu from, she's the founder and CEO of Avenir Consulting. And secondly, we have here Jenny Vasquez Newsom, uh, the founder and CEO of Untapped Leaders. And I'll go into the whole conversation of how we met, you know, and, you know, what brings us together, et cetera. And then, you know, we'll get into our conversation. So first I want to, uh, before I begin, uh, I like to uh, recognize that uh, this episode is being recorded on the traditional territories of the Mississauga of the Credit the, uh, and the peoples of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and the Huron-Wendat. And this is covered under Treaty 13 and Williams, uh, Treaty 13 and the Williams Treaties. And where I'm broadcasting from is also the home of the First Nations, including the Métis and the Inuit peoples. So with that, um, you know, I just want to get some uh, get some ideas and, and have the audience get some ideas as to who you are. So, Nadia, let's start with you since, you know, you're the furthest. The, well, actually, no, I'm probably in the middle. So I'm probably equidistant to the both of you. <laughs> so, so, uh, so Nadia, yeah. So, you know, Avenir Consulting, I mean, you know, well, actually, let me go back for a second. First, you know, you and I met at that Icon Inclusion Conference Indeed. virtually mm -hmm. and, you know, it was such a while ago. It was, it was like, okay, you know, Nadia was so eloquent in what she was talking about. And I oh, believe the conversation you. was about inclusive leadership yourself. And it so it was like, Hey, you know what? Maybe this is a topic that we like to talk about, especially when we're looking at from, you know, global equity and inclusion. So, and then of course I approached you last summer and, and here we are now finally getting together. <laughs> so, you know, as I'm thinking about you know, the, the word avenir, which is, you know, the coming or the future. So right. what does that future look like for you? And, you know, and then expand, you know, tell us, tell my audience about who you are and why you're passionate about equity and inclusion and belonging and, 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 and whatnot. So mm. go ahead. Thank you very much, Andre. So, yeah, so avenir does indeed mean future. <clears throat> and and I thought it was really apt when, you know, thinking about the company name, because diversity, equity, inclusion is all about what we're aiming for, what we're all striving for, for a different future um, for our children and our children's children. And, you know, hopefully if we're still on this planet, when things do change, we, we'd like the speed of change to be quicker, but for, for the future to be one where everyone can feel like they belong and everyone can feel that no matter their difference that they have a place in the world in society in their organization wherever it they may be and so I um, my background uh, from a professional perspective is as a chartered uh, occupational or business psychologist and I've been practicing that for 20 odd years um, here in the UK, working with global clients, mind you, um, a lot of work in leadership development, facilitation, culture change, transformation, and um, I'm also an accredited coach and have an MBA. So that's a little bit about what it says on paper. Um, my passion for diversity, equity, inclusion certainly um, 
you know, I entered the space because I realized the inequity um, coming from it from a gender perspective initially, actually, I entered the space looking at the inequity between male caring responsibility, so men stepping into their caring responsibilities and how that impacts women and their career progression, assuming heterosexual relationships. And so a lot of my research initially was investigating how organizational culture and leadership can influence men in their decision to take an active caring role to lean into that, despite going against what we as society, certainly in the Western culture, expect of men to be the provider, to be the main earner of the fam for the family. We don't expect them to be caring, sensitive. That's not the, stereo the stereotypes, the labels that we put on men. And so it causes real problems then when we're trying to create gender equity or gender parity or balance within organizations. So this is this is what I was initially, so I did a lot of keynote speaking in that area and then really broadened from there, leaning on my psychology, uh, the under, the concepts of privilege, bias, structural advantage, um, equality, equity, all of the stuff that we talk about, um, it lends itself really well to my background. And so Avenir and everyone that works for Avenir all can offer that um, that insight into our values, our beliefs, the emotions that we carry, how that plays out when we're trying to navigate this complexity of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thanks for that, Nadia. I, you know, listening to that story of how you formed your organization is, is you know, it's telling. It's it's it tells a story, and it's and it's you know, it shows your passion to the work that you do, and I really appreciated that. And now, Jenny, I mean. What can I say about you, Jenny? I mean, look, we've known each other for, you know, for a few, I guess the same amount of time, two years. And, you know, I've been a fan of your work for the longest time. And you, you know, I've already expressed this to you many times. And, you know, and then of course, you know, you started Untap Leaders. And, you know, and, and one, of the, one of the posts that I remember you talking about is what does leadership look like? And when you started to look at specifically um, you know, who are the authors that we start to see? And they're mainly white men, right? So, you know, we're going based on white supremacy, white culture, um, white leadership, et cetera. So you wanted to bring to light this, and this is a conversation that I've always wanted to have too, of what does our leadership look like in such a global multicultural uh, society? So, you know, and then of course, you know, after we had the conversation, I believe you started your Untapped Leaders after working, uh, I believe it was with a nonprofit organization before that. So, and now you've gone full throttle with, with this and, uh, you know, and I, you know, and I admire, you know, your, your, your leadership in, in this space. And so, you know, so for the audience, I mean, I've already kind of spoiled it here, but I mean, <laughs> you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of a, of a background for you. So, yeah. Uh, you know, tell us, tell us more about yourself and, and how you got to where you're at. Although I've, you know, spoken about some of it, but uh, yeah. the, the floor is yours. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Um, I am in California, so I am U.S. based at, in, in Los Angeles and Tongan land, um, original Tongan land. And I, my career has been in uh, leadership development in education. My background is in education, and I've always worked in uh, kind of facilitating spaces for uh, leaders at different stages of their careers, from high school students to executives, uh, kind of finding their place and space in what they want to do. So really kind of exploring uh, their own careers and their own career paths. Having spent a few decades facilitating leadership frameworks, studying leadership frameworks, like really in even my doctoral classes, taking a leadership course and realizing that the syllabus was fully uh, only white men <laughs> written and driven. Um, I uh, came to this realization really in 2020, uh, which I think was a very much a core shaking year for a lot of us. Um, and I think on the heels of George Floyd's murder here in the US, uh, really thinking about this question of how 
do I want to spend my time and talent on this earth um, and thinking about, you know, uh, where would I have the most impact in understanding kind of what my knowledge is and what I can bring to the world um, and then what we're not seeing. And so it really was this realization that I had been, you know, facilitating kind of making all these white centered frameworks work and it wasn't representing me. Um, it doesn't, they weren't written by someone like me or for someone like me. And so that's where this untapped leaders work emerged. Um, and so it really actually began with writing the book Untapped Leadership, which will be out this year. I'm really excited, uh, published a, a little later. Um, but it's about harnessing the power of underrepresented leaders, about harnessing the power that uh, we've overlooked, uh, that we haven't written about, that hasn't been named. Uh, and I think there's you know, these realities of leadership that are happening in organizations and a lot of spaces that we don't talk about because, you know, we haven't had the power of the pen or the, the power of the microphone in the past few centuries. So that's where this untapped leadership work has really emerged. And really what I'm, I'm hoping to do is amplify, you know, how marginalized perspectives and those that it kind of have been overlooked are actually what's needed for the future we want to see like the leadership that we need sits in those margins and um, sits in that kind of experience of having been marginalized actually gives you a lot of tools and, and strengths to lead from so uh, so that's where the work it sits now and I really uh, work now through community uh, we have a, a group that that we work with uh, through untapped leaders as well as co coaching and kind of those aspects that that we do so yeah that's a little bit about me and thanks for that, Jenny. And, you know, just listening to both of your stories where you're talking about, you know, the marginalization and trying to create an inclusive, inclusive, uh, you know, workplace or inclusive, uh, you know, just inclusivity in general, I would say, uh, this is something that, you know, I'd like to explore a little more on. So, so let's, let's start the conversation between the both of us here. Now, you know, when we've talked about inclusive leadership, we all branch out in terms of, you know, what does inclusive leadership look like? Does it merge with other areas such as transformational leadership, servant leadership, et cetera? And Jenny, we had a conversation probably last month uh, where I remember I had a, a, a talk with somebody about, uh, you know, servant leadership trump or servant leadership trumps uh, uh, inclusive leadership. And then I, I had a, I, I took issue with that conversation. So, and that's why I reached out to you about this. And, and, and so, you know, what does inclusive leadership look like to both of you? Um, feel free to, 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 to start the conversation, anybody. And, and also, you know, what does that look like from a global perspective? Um, you know, so um, the floor is yours, um, whoever wants to start here. And, you know, I'm sure you have a passion to, to answer this question. Anybody can go ahead. I'm happy to jump in uh, just to get us going. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I think there's like this baseline definition maybe of inclusive leadership as you know you are a leader that is uh, valuing and incorporating diverse perspectives in your leadership. You are creating space where uh, people feel like their contributions uh, carry weight, that they are important, that the way they see uh, the work, the way they operate um, are all valued and welcomed into a space. Uh, I think what we'll maybe hopefully get into is kind of the uh, nuance and the layers of what true inclusion requires. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it there's a difference between inclusion and belonging. And, and so you can be included, but, but that doesn't necessarily equate to belonging. And so I think when we start to unpack what true inclusive leadership means, I, I really think that we should kind of dig a few layers below. Uh, but if we want to have, have, you know, this standard definition, that's what I would start off with. Um, so. mm. And uh, yeah. And thanks, Jenny. That's yeah, absolutely. I would, um, concur with that but also um that sense of under self-understanding is so so critical so their open-mindedness 
their willingness to explore who they are, to learn about themselves, to educate themselves about other people and other and and history and and everything that's come before, um, how that influences how people walk through the world and how people experience the world and therefore um, how the world interacts with them. So there's this there's this sense of deep deep curiosity that that allows them and this is quite key and actually something that I'm writing in my book beyond discomfort um which will be I know two authors um <laughs> um all around being able to sit with discomfort being uncomfortable is something that we rarely as humans we want to sit in for long and yet being an inclusive leader requires us to acknowledge some of the things that we deeply would not want to see in ourselves or see in the world around us and acknowledge that what was our reality and has been it which hits to the core of who we are and that we fundamentally believe in might not apply to everyone and this is shocking for some people and yet to sit with that discomfort and then then make the decision that means I have to do something different that means that the archetypal leader that I have been striving for, yeah, even playing to some of you just mentioned servant leadership, transformational leadership, you know, we, we can reel off all of these other theories of leadership. Defined by white men too, mind you. Say again. Defined by white men as well. Right. Right. So we could go into, we could unpick all of that in terms of power, mm -hmm. couldn't we? And, and yeah. what, what makes a leader, but to actually hold that light in with lightness and say even I've got loads of feedback that I'm a good leader and I've progressed in my career and people have told me that it's because I'm such a good leader it's possible I still have more to learn and I haven't been as inclusive as I thought I might be that is such a hard pill to swallow and it's uncomfortable as anything and they've got to sit with that and do something different mm. No, that's that that makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, it's funny because all the qualities that you mentioned about inclusive leadership, it actually intertwines with there was a graphic that I saw, I, you know, I'll share it in, in, in the show notes of, you know, inclusive leadership being one component of, 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 uh, you know, of, a you know, eight characteristics of, of a leadership model, inclusive leadership was one of them. And you and what you've also described was certainly cultural intelligence, mm -hmm. you know, especially when you're looking at it from a from a from a global perspective of understanding cultures and whatnot. So, you know, and let's you know, let's let's go back and unpack that conversation that you had, Jenny, about, you know, you know, as equity practitioners, we have these titles: equity, diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, diversity, inclusion, belonging you know, idea, all these acronyms together, which sometimes mm -hmm. I find it's just like word, word candy, or, or, or you know what I mean, or letter candy, or, you know, alphabet soup, that's really what it is. Yeah. And so, you know, let's go back for a second and talk about this, this, you know, the difference between inclusion and belonging, and why we need to differentiate that within our organizations within our practices. And, and yeah, let's, yeah. let's talk about that a little more. Yeah, I think, you know, I, when I, every time I think about kind of inclusion, I, I tweeted about this recently, because thinking about in preparation for this conversation, I, I think about the power dynamic that's embedded within inclusion. So there's always an includer, there's someone that is including or, you know, a, a, a group that is including, and then there's those that are included. And so, you know, there is this exchange that inclusion creates where um, there are usually leaders of folks that have a lot of formal authority that have a lot of power, make the choice, the decision to include others. And in that, you know, we have to think about, well, is that, does that create a sense of belonging at there? I I don't think so. I think we have to really think about, you know, uh, how can you diffuse power so that, you know, those that are being included are actually the ones shaping the way 
things get done or the way uh, things, um, you know, our, our decisions are being made. And so really kind of adjusting and unpacking a bit beyond inclusion and not feeling like, okay, we're, we're being, we have an inclusive, inclusive environment and, and that's it. I, I don't think that that really does it. And so I think of an example, I, I, used, I worked at a uh, prior organization and it was a particularly challenging work environment. I was included, I, you know, I, I was included, but it wasn't necessarily a space that I wanted to be included into. Like it was very challenging to navigate. Um, and so that didn't feel like a sense of belonging for me. I couldn't bring my full self uh, to that space. And so I, I think they, you know, as leaders, as equity consultants, as all the folks kind of doing this work, we really have to think about, you know, really getting clear on what what the inclusion is into and are we just kind of including into uh, white dominant spaces or just spaces that are kind of have been created by others that aren't like us and how do, does that actually create belonging? Nadia, your thoughts. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm listening to Jenny and thinking, yeah, um, you, definitely a distinction uh, between the two. Um, I sort of feel that in, inclusion, you can include me, right? But unless I see it replicated across, like, so unless so the, the belonging happens when you see it culturally embedded within the organization. So, it's okay if <clears throat> if some if some people feel included and they feel that there's inclusion in the organization they might eventually get a sense of belonging but that psychological safety that you get from knowing that anyone in the room is included has a voice around the table is appreciated for who they are it isn't just you and you know i suppose because we're all coming with our unique identity and our unique characteristics and so if I feel that I'm appreciated for who I am, but the person sitting next to me in my team doesn't, and I see that overtly being displayed, then it'll always get, offer me a sense of unease that, okay, well, if that's how they're treated, will the tables be turned on me one day? So belonging is this um, deeper sense. It's much deeper than inclusion. Inclusion is more of an act. Um, and belonging is a feeling. It's a feeling that I trust this organization or this, you know, wh wherever I am. I trust that you'll hold this incredibly precious part of me that I rarely share with other people and that my colleagues around me can do the same and that we'll all be um, allowed to do that without fear of ju negative judgments or consequences as a result of that. So it's, I feel that the belonging is the feeling of the act. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, as I'm, you know, as you look at, or even, you know, if, or if clients come to you and say to you, you know, add inclusive leadership into a job description or something, but do they really understand what's, what inclusive leadership means? And do they really understand what belonging means? And that is... And I, I I find that this is um this is an issue that we have in our organizations is that we just like I mentioned before we just throw out these words without you know HR or anyone under really understanding what they mean for an organization um, you know it's just you know a lot of times it's here's the bare bones of you know what you become as a leader. But are you really enacting and, and and providing that sense of belonging for that person? Because like you said, Jenny earlier is like, you know, you're included at a table, but do you really feel belong at that table given the nature of the conversation or the topic, et cetera? So, and I want to, I want to unpack something with you, Nadia, a little bit too, about what we were talking about earlier with respect to, you know, the cultural differences and whatnot. Um, you know, and I find with global organizations, you have to put into mind, have to put into the mind of the cultural differences and how they approach 
you know, gender or how they approach uh, sexual identity or anything like that. So how does include, how does one become an inclusive leader in that type of environment where you're looking at various, you know, you're working with clients from other countries who have different ideals, different values that don't match the typical Western culture. Um, you know, how do you tell someone that this is what it looks like as an inclusive leader? Do you have the same characteristics? Do you have to modify it or or whatnot? Like, you know, this is this is something that I that I'm curious about. It's such a good question um, and one that I toy with a lot as well it, when working with global organizations that have um you know across regions like properly global um, offices where they have a global diversity equity inclusion strategy policy um, and are trying to navigate how in some some of the countries where they might operate for example being a, a part of the lgbtq plus community would be illegal um and it's 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 really challenging um because it, at the core of that organization comes a particular value set which is that we want to be inclusive and certainly being part of the lgbtq plus community in our in the head office the you know of that global organization wherever that lie it wouldn't be illegal so and we would want everyone to feel that they belong and feel that we've created this inclusion for them they're part of this organization and they feel safe in this organization no matter where they live however there's there is something um that's very tricky to navigate the complexity of this which is that that doesn't mean we can swoop in to individual countries and say well look you know you've got it wrong um these people should be allowed to demonstrate their love in in you know in different ways and demonstrate their sexual sexuality or their gender in different ways that's not possible to do and so there's this really tricky navigation of being being conscious of the local culture and the local um it's laws and values um whilst inviting people to the global events to allow people to be part of an organization that they feel included. That doesn't, so there's a distinction between the organization and the country level. And I think that if you blur the two, it becomes really, really tricky. Um, so it's about respecting the country that the that local people are in, whilst also inviting them and making sure that they're part of an organization that values them for who they are. Um, not, not an easy one to do. Not an easy one, but but making sure that you have local DEI strategies so that you're not imposing from a global lens, not imposing on local uh, satellite offices or however big they might be, uh, imposing your DEI strategy, hoping that it's going to fit and work for everyone there because they just won't feel like they've been seen or heard. So sort of multiple level layers of creating inclusion globally, I think. Jenny, I'm sure you've got a lot to add to this conversation. Yeah, thank you. I love that, Nadia, because it, it is this, the reality of context, is, I think, is a big piece of this. You know, I think in my untapped leaders work, I talk a lot about this contextual agility that's required in leadership, that, you know, what works for me may not work for you. What works today may not work tomorrow. And, you know, what works here in the U.S., may not work in the UK, may not work uh, abroad, you know, like that, we need to sit with and start with that assumption. Like that is just kind of the, the basis from which we should think about our decisions. And so that idea, of, you know, from a global perspective, then kind of bringing it down to all of these different um, locales or just regions and, and just assuming that that is the way to do it and that this is how we do inclusive leadership that almost feels counterproductive like it's it's counterintuitive like that you are now excluding um in that process because it's not taken into account like in the context in the different contexts of, of our world um and where you know the, the world is and so uh i you know that resonates quite a bit for for me and thinking about you know it 
on the global perspective and kind of global scale, kind of going back to what you talked about a little earlier, Nadia, this, you know, our cultures are so embedded um, in us, our norms are so embedded in us that we sometimes just assume that that is how things go, that, that that's the way things are. Um, we, we only see that around us. And so that's reality. Um, and so I think when we're thinking really on a global scale on, on inclusion and kind of these efforts is, is challenging that for yourself uh, directly. Uh, that, you know, I may not have all the answers. Uh, I should not have all the answers. Um, and so then how do I start from there to then do the work? Um, Another piece I wanted to just mention is I, I think there's a going back to Andre your idea of like folks put these on job descriptions like inclusive leadership these just these terms and these words that are kind of buzzwords they read nicely they sound good uh, and I think what we miss in that I think it's important to name these things that these are values uh, but what we miss is the necessity for kind of the the micro moments and decisions that build to actually inclusive leadership. That's all the stuff that you don't see or you don't, um, you know, really, it's not kind of the the big event or the big, you know, month uh, that we're celebrating LBGTQ uh, workers or Black workers, you know, like it's not, that's one piece of it. But what is the the micro moments, the day-to-day experience? And what are your day-to-day decisions that are creating inclusive workplaces or inclusive environments? And, and how are you doing that internal work that is baseline requirement, that self-awareness, your own biases, checking those that no one is seeing outwardly, uh, but you need to do that. That's inclusive leadership. And that's really kind of just you know the, a, a requirement that we don't want to miss um, when we talk about the the big nice phrases that we use <laughs> in in this work. So, yeah, no, that's you know that's great. It gives me some some thoughts about like you know the performative nature of what we talk about. We talk about you know upcoming here in North America Black History Month, and I know in the UK, I believe it passed uh, last late last year. And so what we're forgetting is that, you know, things like, you know, South Asian Heritage Month or Caribbean Heritage Month or Black History Month, what we're forgetting is that that happens 365 days a year, right? That's the conversation we need to have in these, in, in these arguments. And the fact that, and the other thing that kind of has always bugged me in these, in these types of conversations is, um, and, and, you know, I might be going off on a little tangent here, but, you know, this, di- this talk about diversity training, right? If we're training our leaders, uh, you know, regardless of your profession, to understand differences, which is the basic norm of differences based on your, your abilities or based on your, your um, what you do for, or, you know, your, what you bring to the table when it comes to your, your work. And then on top of that, the cultural differences, you know, like diversity training is something that's, you know, is it really needed anymore? And, and, you know, and should we start talking about it from the perspective of maybe we need inclusive leadership training, for instance, or we need some sort a different type of training uh, involved in these, in, in our, in our work environments. Right. So, I mean, maybe, maybe it's, maybe this is something that's different um, than the norm and what we're seeing in equity inclusion circles. Um you know, is there, you know, is there merit to what I'm saying or, or do you disagree with what I'm saying? Like, you know. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm taken aback in the sense that for me, we sort of ditched diversity training a little while ago, um, maybe back uh, sort of early 2000s, um, where you know, and maybe the tr- the training itself hasn't changed significantly. Maybe it has. We, you know, we've moved away from pure kind of unconscious bias training, for example, which is what people would typically know as diversity training. <clears throat> you know, diversity is about the numbers, right? It's about how many people do we have of different ethnic backgrounds, for example, or different genders or whatever. How how many do we have? And so it's about teach so when I hear the the term diversity training it's just about teaching people about difference 
um, teaching people that they have these unconscious biases, for example, but it tells them nothing. It doesn't help them in any way, shape or form around the emotionally how to navigate that, what to do when you meet difference, how you can successfully um, create relationships with when you you have polarizing views or or share um things recognize that you have things in common but also understand that there are things that you will always probably differ on but still get along and still be able to work together and appreciate another person's perspective that doesn't the diversity training doesn't get you there um it just tells you it's just it's just offering some content um, and so that's where the criticism around unconscious bias training has always been um, that it doesn't it just leaves people with this understanding of, oh, well, everyone's got bias. So that's OK, then. And so they don't do anything about it anywhere way or, oh, so I'm holding all these biases. So what am I meant to do with that? Um, and either made to feel guilty or ashamed of of holding those. And that's it's not helpful. Ne neither way whether they think it's acceptable because everyone has them or they're shamed into having them, neither is very productive or helpful. So, um, so in the way that workshops, uh, facilitated programs have gone is very much um, leaning on <clears throat> three main elements. This is certainly the core of Avenir's inclusive leadership program where we offer a very experiential approach so really getting people to step out of their own shoes understand someone else's perspective so really engaging in the conversation navigating difficult and challenging conversations through role play case studies um, sip simulation exercises getting them getting them to really think how their own um, lens of the world has has influenced how they see other people um, how they view themselves, um, their their perspective of meritocracy and whether that exists. So really some challenging, some core aspects of people's belief systems, which is not easy, but also supporting them with understanding what they then need to do with that. So the how, how can you be a more inclusive leader? What are the skills that you need to develop, the approach and the practices that you need to take that might feel uncomfortable? but is important to continue practicing getting them to practice that in the sessions really important um so that you don't just say well this is how you do it and leave them to it so actually getting them to practice having that and actually some really getting them to understand the what 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 do they then do with that some actions some some understanding their their role to be active allies in this and what that you know it's, it's so easy to throw the word active allyship around what does that mean and and how does that how do I want to that to apply to me in my organizational context what is my role in breaking down inequities and and power structures in my organization that I might not have seen before but now realize they exist and so I have this accountability to do something about it so so for me the the sheep dip you know, diversity training and just giving getting people to go through and come out the other side, knowing something but not knowing what to do is very unhelpful. Um, the program we run is is over a period of, of several months, you know, four to six months, because this isn't a quick fix. This is work, inner work that leaders need to do in them within themselves and 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 together, so that they feel like that they have people around them who are also on this journey together and can experience it together and know how to challenge each other so so for me progress happens when you don't just kind of support one leader but you but but it's a team everyone's experiencing it everyone's sharing and everyone's understanding um how to approach inclusion in the organization and you know um before jenny before you uh, respond um or add to the conversation, you know, it reminds me of three separate authors, you know, that we talk about um, in this conversation. We have Rohini Anand, when we're talking about global DEI perspectives, you have, um, you know, Amy Edmondson, when we're talking about the fearless organization. And then, um, I forgot who the third one is, but anyway, um, oh yeah, um, uh, John Amici, 
when we're talking about that bias trainings. He's the one who's talked about that, you know, incessantly saying, uh, and uh, con uh, conscious bias training is 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 useless, right? And you've added to that, just like everyone's talking about diversity training is is just checking the box, right? So, so you know, Jenny, I mean, uh, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on on this, and and to add to to Nadia's what Nadia said. Yeah, I I agree. I think there's there can be something particularly almost harmful in doing a check the box diversity training, check the box unconscious bias training, because then you feel like you've made progress or organizations like, okay, we've done it. Uh, and then it, it no, no other work happens. And, and that uh, is pretty damaging, I'd say, uh, long run. So I think, you know, to your question around, uh, should we, let uh, let go of the diversity training, move to inclusive leadership training, or you know, really, I, I think what highlights for me is that I am always interested in going a few levels deeper um, into the conversation, into the realities, into the context again of what is happening. We're having this quote unquote diversity training, but but why are we actually having this <laughs> quote unquote diversity training? So I, you know, with the work that I do with untapped leadership, I, you know, I often get a question around, you know, is it equity work? Is it inclusion work? Is it diversity work? And I, I honestly, I say, no, it's leadership work, but the systems are inequitable. And so this is what we're, this is what I'm trying to do. Um, so it's not necessarily that I'm doing leadership for racially marginalized groups or I'm doing leadership that only represent racially marginalized groups that's that's not it if we're we're talking about leadership at this point um, and I think what is required of leadership at this point is this understanding of our different contexts of the different people that come to work and their full selves and their full experiences and just kind of the realities of living in this world today um, and how we can create organizations, that are you know naturally equitable like they're just kind of morphing and moving towards the goals that we want to see that are not going to be done through a one-off session um and has to be in the bones and so i'm always interested in kind of getting to the bones the structures of of the work and and i really go at it through the the, the point of leadership that you know if we are going to actually talk about leadership, then we we should be talking about, um, you know, all the ways that everyone is leading in their own, from their own perspectives, their own ways, their own context. Um, and, and it's not necessarily just sitting within um, a dominant culture uh, of leadership that then kind of creates this need for a diversity training that, you know what I mean? Uh, so so that's what I, I, I appreciate that question because I want organizations and our spaces to like, let's go down to the foundation, let's dig at the structures because that's where the change happens. No, that's, you know, that's great. And listening to the both of you just talking about really digging in to figure out where our, you know, where our biases are, where, you know, and how do we improve it and having those uncomfortable conversations. So as we conclude here, I just want to just get an insight for, for our viewers here. I know we touched about it at the beginning, Nadia, you had mentioned it, um, but, you know, what are those real, uh, you know, skills and characteristics of someone who should, who should strive to be that inclusive leader period. So Nadia, I know you touch on it, but I mean, you can expand on what you've said and, mm -hmm. and then Jenny, you can add to it as well. Um, so, yeah. So for me, there's needs to be an openness to really learning about themselves. I think it has to start there. There's, I, I don't know any diversity, actually inclusion practitioner, professional um, who doesn't believe that the work starts there because if you if you enter the space thinking that you know you know what the world what you know what reality is right I was just just um chatting earlier today um and and I was saying look you know if they're so fixed that the trees are green right and they see just green trees they've been told trees are green they've always colored trees as green when they were little kids right 
they see that to be so grounded and fixed that trees can't be any other color that I see trees as purple right that is so important to be able to have that open-mindedness even though it might not be my reality and I actually can't see how it's possible I still remain open that you see that those trees are, are purple and and I think that that's what we're tackling here is this um this ability to flex and be open and be curious and to acknowledge that the way that I experience the world and how I walk through this world is based on so many aspects like layers upon layers of who I am my belief system my values my educational background my my upbringing you know everything that I was taught and it it creates how I interpret the world, how I observe the world, and therefore how the world interacts with me. And that because someone else can, there's only one person who has the specific layers that, of, that I do, right, in terms of my identity, my cultural background, not even my brother has exactly the same as I, right? Not possible. We're all unique. So therefore, I must be open-minded to understand there's a possibility that the world would interact with someone else differently. And, and if we can get everyone just a little bit towards acknowledging that that, that is, is the way that the world works, right? Um, and accepting that therefore the structures that we live in are biased towards certain people. Um, and that, that means that some people have more of a positive um, experience of the world compared to others. And therefore, that might lead to better outcomes for them. Yeah. If we can get leaders there, that's an amazing start, I would say. Excellent, Jenny. Yes, I would echo Number one is that uh, self-awareness, self-reflection, and just knowing that that's kind of a lifelong practice. You never just get it. Uh, I'm always working. I do this work every day, and I'm always unpacking, always you know, trying to realize where I default to a bias, uh, and then that's there. Um, to add to that, I think what is also required is um, time for that. Uh, so I think we do live in a world that's always on, always going. The pace is frenetic at moments. And to do this work well, it, it requires space. It requires a pause to have that moment to unpack, okay, well, what behaviors did I do today that excluded others? Or where was I, was I not aware of, of what I was doing? Or just kind of you know, doing what I always do. Uh, and, and so I think as leaders, you know, we have to pace uh, a bit to interrupt our, you know, propensity to go back to what we know. Um, and that's hard. Again, you, Nadia, you talk about like, there's, there is a friction that happens when we get information that does not align with what we've experienced and what we know and what our culture and our norms and so you have to give that time to enter in otherwise you know our brains are wired to just boop, click it you know, kick it back out and, and keep it moving because we got to get things done we got to get things done the way we know we to get them done and so a lot of this work um and we've talked about kind of just that space and time is, i think is a big piece of it so for anyone listening, you know, really thinking about that self-reflection is step one, um, and then really being strategic in in building out your time and space to uh, bolster that self-awareness that that you're working on. So, yeah, I've learned so much from the both of you. I, you know, outside of our sidebar conversations on social media. You know, I've, like I said, I've, I've learned so much from, from this conversation and I'm pretty sure that, you know, potential leaders, equity practitioners, equity inclusion practitioners, however, 
whoever's listening to this is and watching this is going to learn a lot from this and take away a lot of this, a lot of this conversation. So right now, we're just going to end by, you know, just telling us more about yourself, telling us where you're, how to find you and, you know, even the shameless plug for your books. So, uh, so Jenny, start with you and then Nadia uh, will, will conclude with you. Let me tell you, it's not shameless at this point. This book is needed and I've worked hard. Uh, so yes, so uh, you can find uh, more about Untapped Leaders at www.untappedleaders.com. And uh, the book, it will be out June, 2023, but you can pre-order pre now. There's a link on the website as well. It's uh, Untapped Leadership, Harnessing the Power of Underrepresented Leaders. Um, and you can find me on most social channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, at Nadia Nagamutu. Uh, the website is uh, avenirconsultingservices.com. And I also have a podcast show called Why Care, um, which is coming up to the end of season three. <clears throat> and, uh, and some incredible people, I have to say, that I have had the privilege of speaking to. Um, the, my book is called Beyond Discomfort, uh, Why Inclusive Leadership is So Hard and What You Can Do About It. And unlike Jenny, it is still a work in progress. Um, it's a decent work in progress, but it still is. So I'm imagining end of 2023, early 2024, <clears throat> um, all going to plan. And uh, absolutely, we'll uh, post about it on social channels. So follow me and you'll hear more about it. Nadia, Jenny, thank you for this conversation. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll end by saying, and I, and I should have said it before, but I'll say it now is at the time of this taping of this recording, uh, happy Lunar New Year to those celebrating. And uh, coming up, happy Black History Month for those celebrating in, you know, North America. And, and so with that, I bid you adieu. And uh, thanks for this conversation and see you next time. Thank you, Andre. Thank you.